0: Have you ever done something, I think I'm feeling more reflective than normal, I mean I'm, I'm relatively self-analytical anyway, but in my birthday week, I've been thinking uh, a little bit about, you know, kind of like all the, all the years gone by and all the rest of it, I wonder if anyone can connect with this, have you ever done something where you look back and you kind of go, oh, what was I thinking, like what was I thinking when I made that decision? Gemma, um, for, my wife Gemma gave me um, a book, she collected together a load of um Uh, It was lovely, actually. A load of letters from people, friends and family, uh, that wrote in this book. And then a load of photos that my dad inundated Jem with of kind of my lifetime. And I couldn't help but look over these photos, not just the ones that made the book, but all the ones. And there were like hundreds that my dad sent through. I think he had a great time going through all the photo albums. And looking at some of these photos and thinking, oh man, what was I thinking? And like a lot of these involve myself and uh, um, our esteemed leader, Paul, uh, who's my brother, for those of you that don't know. So uh, these are the ones that uh, my heart sank this week. And I thought, oh, what were you thinking when this happened? (laughs) This is what we affectionately call our hip-hop stage. Uh, where's Wally? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I was big on hats. Uh, this is uh, the late 80s when shell suits were the rage. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know why I didn't have the self-awareness to kind of go, "No, you don't look. Don't, don't, don't pose for a photo like you think you're looking good." Uh, Paul's tie choice there is questionable. Uh, but he's gone with it anyway. Uh, I don't know how many other are, actually. I it, okay, fine, thank goodness. I think there are others. There's one of me dressed up as the, uh, the um, wrestling celebrity, The Undertaker. Uh, which was a questionable choice as well. I don't know what was going on in dark 12-year-old Adam's mind that The Undertaker, not Hulk Hogan, uh, was the person that I wanted to dress up as. But that was the thing. And it it kind of got me thinking over the last kind of like however many years, and it it can be like literally this week, it can be this month, it can be this year, it can be a lifetime. What was I thinking when that happened? What was I thinking when I made that decision? And at the moment, if you're not necessarily with us regularly or you kind of need a little bit of a catch-up, this time of year is really exciting if you're a part of hope, if hope is your home, if this is something that you're you're engaging and investing your life in. Because these next few weeks are kind of where we aim our year or a big part of our year towards. And especially as things have grown over the kind of like last 6 to 12 months, we're getting to the place where... Yeah, We're relatively full in here, but if you step into our kids' work, or our youth work, or our creche, we're rammed. We're too big, uh, and we're outgrowing this building quickly. Our kids, and this is weird when you, you know, you're not with us regularly, but we say this sentence, and it sounds weird. Our kids are over at the pub, uh, and there's a the number of you like, I wish I could join them. Not you know, They're just using a room over at the pub because they don't fit in this building. And so we're a small church that has seen growth over the last 12 months and we believe that God is going to increase that growth as we continue to reach out to our community and try and bless those of us, uh, you know, our community, those that don't know Jesus, those who are finding faith again, those that have walked away from faith, whatever it might be. We believe that we are a church that is named after what we want to be about. We want to offer hope. We don't want to just shut the doors and go, isn't church nice this week? But don't change anything. And so that has led to this place where we're, in two weeks' time, as Paul mentioned, we're going hope on the road. And a lot of that is kind of like looking like, what would it take financially? What would it take practically? What would it take spiritually to move what we do here into a place that allows us to grow? At the moment, if we had like 10 or 5 new families turn up here, we'd be in trouble. We don't have the room. And that, that might not be something that you connect with because you come and you sit down and there seems a relative amount of space. But trust me, as one of the people that's involved in kind of seeing a direction forward, it's a headache. Our kids don't fit. All the youth that are sat there, and are now crammed into a room that's tiny in that room there. And we're looking for God to provide a way forward and hope on the road is our first step of faith. Thinking, I'll tell you what though, it's occurred to me over the last week or so as we've pushed doors and tried to work out and still two weeks out, we can't tell you where we're going to be. There has been many moments where myself and Paul and Dave and Sarah and Mike, where we might look to each other and kind of go, what what were we thinking? What were we thinking when we got up in April and said, hey, let's take Hope on the road? Wouldn't it have been so much easier? Wouldn't it have been so much easier to just kind of go, let's just, just ram in, and eventually people will leave because there's not enough room, so it'll be fine. We can just kind of trundle along and not do it. It would have been so much easier. What were we thinking? Not to mention that two weeks after Hope on the Road... We go to this festival called Edge Fest, which we're a major part of. We're investing an awful amount of resource and people and, and time and all the rest of it into this festival that has kind of grown out of um, this thing that was called GNC, which kind of was fading out and it's been reinvigorated. And we've stepped in in a big way. And a lot of what we're doing is moving our young people to sign up to it, is moving our families to sign up to it, is to try and get people along to this week-long event down in Taunton. So two weeks after Hope on the Road, what were we thinking? That's a questionable decision to think, why, why are we doing that? Wouldn't it be easier just to sack it off? Wouldn't it be easier just to kind of go, no, nah, there's too much, there's too much there. There's a sense where we, we, where we felt, and in my moments of non-doubt, where we still feel that God is leading us to something that is bigger than what we maybe would just trundle along into. That we can reach more people and that more people can find hope and faith and restoration for the lives that they have. Following God's voice as best we can has really been the kind of signature of the leaders here of what we tried to do and the team around us of what we tried to do. Just trying to follow God as best we can. We, f- we think that you know, stepping out in two weeks time is the way to go and we don't really know what we're going to learn and find out from that. We don't really know where that's going to leave us but we're just stepping and seeing what happens and with Edgefest it's grown it's double what it was last year and there's an element where we're going down and kind I wonder what it will become I wonder what will happen I wonder what God's going to do with that and the opportunity is available to us we're just following God's voice as best that we can but it it can be confusing to follow Jesus and then for you, maybe, you know, kind of visiting maybe, or kind of like a little bit disconnected from that stuff. Or, you know, it's kind of like you're good, you'll be there, at hope, on the road, but you're not necessarily absolutely in yet. Even from an individual level, you can recognize this. And this is the question that I've been sitting on this week. What does it take to follow Jesus? Now, just... Pull back a second because that seems like a very church thing to say where you can kind of recite a few verses and you can move on from it. But what I want you to do, and I'm going to leave an, a, a, a deliberate tension at the end of this morning. I'm not going to do that thing where I pose a question and then answer it. I'm going to leave the question because I'm still figuring this out. For you, with your family, with your job, with your commitments, with the things that you've decided to do and the things that got you know, dumped on you. What does it mean for you now? In the life that you have to be following Jesus. What does it mean for you? How does that play out? How does that break down? How does that work itself? Is it even evident? It was one of the moments that I had this, this week where I'm like, oh hang on, this you know, I'm the guy at the front, you know, speaking on a microphone, and sometimes I'm not even sure I'm doing the following thing. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We got a great passage in Luke 5 uh, where Jesus kind of addresses this and gives us a few things to kind of chew on whereas we'll have that tension this morning the question, but we got this stuff of what Jesus talked about. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake, uh, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge, Jesus saw at the water's edge, two boats left there by the fishermen. So this is right at the start. Those of you who know a little bit about Jesus, and he kind of recruited some disciples and stuff, this is right at the start before he'd done that. He saw two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, who we later know as Peter, and asked him to put it out a little from the shore. And then he sat down in the boat and taught the people. When he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large catch of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Peter's partners, who later become disciples. Why, that's significant. And Jesus said to Peter... Don't be afraid, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled the bo- boats up on shore, left everything, and they followed him. I don't know, is anybody like a keen fisherman here? Uh, Hewlett's not here, he's a keen fisherman. No one else has got time for fishing. Uh, but the only time I've ever been fishing uh, was on Dave's stag. Dave's one of our leaders. I, I, he is here, or he was here this morning, but I don't think he's around right now. But for whatever reason, Dave chose, he's a kind of laid-back guy, and he chose fishing as one of his activities on his stag. And that's the kind of ragers we go on when we go on stag dude. It's like, you know, what are we are going to be doing today? It's going to be crazy. Yeah, we're going fishing. We're going to sit still and not really talk for three hours uh, in the boiling hot sun and wait for something uh, to get caught. And we've been, been promised uh, a big catch. It was, you know, it was inevitable. It was going to happen. This was my first experience of fishing. I thought, this will be great. We're going to go out there and we're going to catch our dinner. It was something so like, you know, oh yes, this is wild. This is like, you know, this is me connecting with nature and all that rest of it. And we went out there and it was nothing like I expected it to be. At it. No one barely caught anything. We sat there. We had like two of us were getting ill and there was like a queue for the toilet. And it was like, you could see, we didn't want to ruin Dave's stag. But there was this element where everybody was kind of like, how much longer are we going to be out here? And it's like, hey, you having fun? Yeah, I'm loving it. It's great. It's this weird kind of like thing where we didn't really want to be there anymore. And, and, and no one really caught anything. But there's always, there's always a Jesus. There's always, a, and in this story, I'm sorry, I, I love Jesus. But the, in this story, he's a little bit like, oh, he's that guy. He's that guy. That You know, we've been out all night, Jesus, but you've got advice. You've got things that we haven't tried yet. You've got a tutorial you found on YouTube about fishing. And so you want us to kind of you know, connect with that and understand. And Jesus... He obviously, from a different point of view, from like being the son of God, has something to say. But when you're on a fishing trip on a stag doing, you've been there for three hours and you've caught nothing, and some guy turns around to you and says, Have you tried? You just want to whack him around the head with your fishing rod. Like, that, that's, I, you know, I have nothing else to try. I don't even care if I catch fish anymore. Like, I, I couldn't care less anymore. What's strange. Is, and this is unrelated, but I, it, it's a bit of a weird memory, if I'm honest, and I can't, I can't write, work, work out where to put this, is that the fish, I think we did eat some mackerel, but the fish ultimately became a part of a game. And, and, and at this point, Lou wants me to make sure that he's credited with this invention, that this game was his idea. He actually said to me, I thought Paul would dispute that, he actually, he actually he's angry, he actually said to me, fish slap, which is the game he came up with, is the only thing I've contributed to humanity. Is what he said to me this morning. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so basically, fish slap was simply this, and this isn't tied in, I'm not trying to make a point with this, but fish slap was basically this. I remember Dave and Jacob sitting opposite each other. They get asked random questions. They had a fish in each hand, and if they got the question wrong, the other person got to slap him around the face with a fish. It was absolutely brutal. It was such a weird, like, am I enjoying this? I'm not sure. Like, that's clearly painful. And yet, the sound of the fish slapping, like, Dave's beard was amazing. Like, I tried to get a video of it, but no one has it anymore. It's just a shame. Yes? Oh, mate, I, you know, I said that. Lou was like, no, I don't think anybody did. Yeah, I don't know. Really. <laughs> Quiet down, mate. You invented the game, right? <laughs> Jesus just gets in the boat. And that's it, it, amazing. Like, kind of like assumption. There is a sense where we know that Jesus had met Peter before this. So there isn't like, you know, who is this randomer? But they weren't like buddies, They've like, been around each other for years, so Jesus just gets in Peter's boat. And I just want to kind of like spend like five minutes this morning, ten minutes this morning, just carving this back and trying to figure out. Keep in mind that question: What does it take for you to follow Jesus? Not for you know the person that you're advising, or for a generic Christian, but for you, with your family and your stuff and your commitments and your things going on. Jesus gets in the boat. And he asked Peter to put him out a bit from the shore. Like I said, they weren't like best mates. And Peter's been out all night. Now I'm thinking about me in that mindset. And I didn't sleep particularly well last night because of a little girl over there that you know thought it would be funny to shout through the night. So I'm imagining if she came to me this morning and said, Hey, Dad, can you put your boat out from the shore a little bit? I'm like, yeah, you can go to sleep, love. Like That's the only thing happening. But something about Jesus makes Peter at least accept it. I'll give him that. It might be that he was like encouraging him or whatever. Maybe he did it reluctantly. The only thing we know is that Jesus was in the boat and Peter let him out. Enough of a step. Enough of a curiosity. Enough of a a moment of, all right, let's, let's see. Let's see what he's got to say. Something about Jesus. Maybe over this last year for you. Maybe 20 years ago for you. Maybe longer than that ago for you. Maybe you're thinking about it. Something about Jesus makes us take that little step just into the shallow, not too far. You don't need to know, like, you know, the the Bible off by heart, but just a little step into the shallow, just to hear what he's got to say, just to see if he grabs you, because he then talks to the people. And then the Bible says that when he's finished, he asks Peter to put him out deeper. So he's talked for a bit in the shallow, and then he says, Can you put me out deeper? And Peter's like, man, I just want to go home. Like I've been I've been fishing all night, and you, you know, you've talked for a bit, and you know, I don't know a lot, You know, what time limit Jesus was on? I know what I'm on, but I don't know what time limit Jesus was on. But you know, he was talking for a bit, and then he was, you know, can you let me out for the, a little bit further. And the, the imagery here, the kind of what 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 we're seeing here is amazing, because this is the story that illustrates following Jesus. the the provocation, the thing that makes it happen, the moments that kind of go, yeah, okay. And he says, just a little step out into the shallow and then a little wade out into the deep. A little moment of faith or a little risk of trust. I think sometimes, especially those that have been around Christian Christians a long time, been around church a long time, maybe you've got a history in church and you're finding your way back or whatever it might be. But I think we've understood Jesus wrongly sometimes. It helps sometimes to go back and discard our picked up stuff and actually go, well, what is it that he actually was about? What is it that he actually said? Because I think Jesus actually, for the most part didn't necessarily collect moments of like we might call them altar calls or responses to prayer those things are great and they got those they got their place but that's not really what Jesus did he didn't really talk and then write everybody come to the boat I want to pray with each of you that you'll say the believer's prayer that's not really what Jesus did in fact he didn't do that what he did is he collected followers all through the gospels Matthew Mark Luke John that's the story that's what Jesus did he collected followers and he allowed them to be where, he, where they were. Just in the shallow, maybe wading out further in the deep. People having a look, taking a little time, just dipping their toes to see what it's all about. Who is he? What's he saying? What difference does he make to the life that I've got? So that we can answer the question for your life, not generically, what's it take to follow Jesus. Jesus was absolutely content to have followers in all their mess and all their chaos. Just being with him, hanging around him in the shadow to make what you want to make of it. Being in a safe environment, being in a non-judgmental environment, being in a place where you're not kind of looked at and kind of like, you know, what you why haven't you measured up? Jesus didn't do that. It's what we're trying to replicate here. That's why we let Paul up here in all his mess and chaos. Like to just illustrate that brilliantly. And, and, and that's what we want to be about. This has to be the place where people can come in their absolute brokenness. So often the church hasn't been. Peter has this moment. Peter has this moment where he's a fisherman by trade. And he's been out all night. So that I guarantee you, because we know what Peter was like, he was a bit kind of like explosive in his mindset. And he does well to hold it together here, if I'm I'm honest. But, you know, he's explosive in his mindset, without a doubt in his mind. As Jesus said, hey, let's go out to deep and fish again. He would have been like, I know better. You're just the guy that travels around and talks. I've never seen you with a fishing net. I've never seen you do anything that resembled fishing. I'm the guy that fishes. This is my life. I know what I'm doing with it. I know my experience. I know the things that I've gone through. I know what the lessons I've learned. The last thing I need, God, is you telling me what I need to do. But Peter has this moment. I like the fact he gets this in. There's a little bit of petulance that I love in Peter because it's like me too. He could have just said, I obey you, Jesus, and I will put the boat out. But he had to get this in. Those of you who are a little bit petty will love this. He says, we've been fishing all night and haven't caught anything but... I'll take a risk and follow you. So let me be clear, Jesus. I know better than you, and I think it, uh, but I will also obey. It's that kind of reluctant obedience that we do. Like, you know, as Christians, like, kind of like, God, let me be clear that I think you're wrong, uh, but I'm going to do it because I want to be, appear like I'm uh, obedient. And Peter's a little bit like that there. And we know what happens because he takes that little step into the shallow, and then he takes that bigger step wading out into the deep. And he takes that bigger step further and actually obeys when he thinks he knows better. So we've got a bit of a a movement there. We've got this into the shallow little step from where you're at we've got that into the deep from where you're at just going a little bit further asking the further questions getting deeper in taking it upon yourself to meet up with people that you know maybe might be able to help you or meet up with people that might be able to pray or taking that step to you know kind of come forward and get people alongside you or or read something that someone suggested to you or whatever it might be signing up to Edgefest when maybe you think differently of it whatever that might be and then you have this moment where Peter is directly challenged Hey, Peter, this is what it takes to follow me. I want you to do this, and you're going to think you know better. And Peter goes, and they have this massive catch of fish. And the emphasis Luke puts on this is hilarious. Like, this isn't just like, oh, and they caught something, and everybody lived happily ever after. There's such an overwhelming, like, how wrong was Peter? How right was Jesus? Two boats full. They even have to get their partners from the other boat to come and help them. The boat nearly starts sinking. There's this whole kind of almost chaotic scene to what Jesus provides. Peter's reaction is interesting. It's really interesting. He goes maybe where we don't necessarily connect to. Where Jesus abundantly provides for you. Maybe think back to the last time you can like, When is the last time you had two boats full? Where you're like, that is is overwhelming what God just did. That might be because you're not out in the deep much. It might be because you don't actually put the nets down because you know better, right? His recognition of all that Jesus had done was to suddenly see himself very clearly. He doesn't get all thankful He doesn't go and buy Jesus a box of chocolates. He doesn't get overwhelming in his gratitude. He suddenly sees the difference between all that Jesus is and all that he is. This wasn't like a wow, thanks, Jesus moment. He had a revelation about himself. Isn't that amazing? Jesus does something incredible for Peter, and Peter has a revelation about himself. He sees something about himself. That he's not enough. That he can't make this life thing work on his own. That he ultimately needs rescuing from where he is, from the life that he's set in place, from the decisions that he's made. Experiencing the awe and the power in Jesus causes a reaction. I think it's why sometimes we set ourselves in place when we come into a place like this or we go to like a a conference or a festival or whatever it might be or we set our lives up in a place that sometimes we stay on the shore because we don't necessarily want to get next to those moments. Experiencing that awe and power of Jesus causes a reaction. I need something more than I have. And that's what makes this more than self-help. I don't know why you're here. I don't know how long you've been here. I don't know what you've come looking for. But let me be clear. Christianity is not self-help. It isn't like a bunch of kind of guidelines that will make life work better. It's about recognizing, Peter style, recognizing a moment where like, man, I do not have it, what it takes. I'm not going to be enough. I can get everything in place. I can work it how I want to work it. And it still won't be enough. I need rescuing. And I've seen it. I've seen it when I waded out into the deep and trust just enough to go beyond what I thought was best. That's what makes this more. More than a big friendship circle, more than you know, all the stuff that we put on to make it as helpful as we can, more than whatever else that we, uh, you know, kind of invest our time and energy and money into to make hope as welcoming as possible. It's always going to be more than more than that. There is a deep sensing of a larger purpose at the smallness of Peter's life. What does it take to follow Jesus? There is a moment. I think there's many moments of recognition of the larger sense of purpose and the smallness of my life without it that there was thinking behind your existence that it matters what your life counts for i know this is early sunday sun's out it's hot but just hear that again that there is thinking behind your existence that it matters what your life counts for. And Jesus cements this. Paul, do you want to come? Jesus cements this with his response, and this is the last bit that he says. You notice Peter didn't pray a believer's prayer. He didn't come forward and kind of drop to his knees, or he did drop to his knees, but he didn't come forward in a meeting. He just literally came real. and hadn't sorted anything out by this point. And, you know, kind of like sorted out his behavior hadn't sorted out like, you know, his 40 a day habit or whatever it might be. Jesus cements this with his response that Peter's got it. He says, don't be afraid. Don't let fear do its thing. Don't let fear be the kind of the guiding factor in your life. He got Peter straight away. I think he got me. I imagine he got a lot of us. Don't let fear be the thing that guides the life that you're creating. Don't be afraid. Now your life will be about fishing for people. Now your life will be about something way bigger than what you had made it about. And that's the moment. Something in this whole experience, something in what happened. They pulled up their boats to shore and they left everything and followed him. And that's the moment. That's the moment. They didn't sit down and say, Hey Jesus, can we get together with you Uh, and you know kind of talk this through? And I've got a few questions about your kind of qualifications. He didn't kind of like, you know, have to prove himself again and again and again. It was like, that's enough. Do you see what happened? I've experienced the power and presence of Jesus. And I don't know the answer to every question, but I I stepped into the shallow and he was amazing. And I stepped out in the deep and he showed himself again. And then I waded with obedience. And look what he did. So I'm done. I'm done with the life that I had. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. In your job, with your family, with your life, that that you've built or ended with at this point, that you are here today with, What does it mean to follow Jesus? Maybe you've been on the shore too long, and you absolutely know it. You just need to take a step. Just a little moment. It's like I'm just gonna hear you out. Maybe there's an obedience thing. Like, let the nets down. But I know better, God. I know better. Let me run my life, and you kind of you know worry about church stuff. He's just saying, hey, just let the nets down. Follow me. And let's see what happens. For this church heading out on the road, going to Edgefest, taking the summer, if you're with us, if you're a part of what we're doing here, what does it mean to follow Jesus over the next month? I mean, we're going there. We're, you know, we're going to go and hope on the road and we're going to Edgefest. It would be great if a few people came with us. What does it mean to follow Jesus. Heading into a season of church where the, the call is to risk more, give more, reach more. What does it mean to follow him, be a part of what's going on here for you? Combining with the life that you've got, the stuff that you've got going on, the things that you face. I want to leave us on that tension with what we see and what we've experienced. Wherever we're at, whether it's you know just two months since my baptism, I just, I'm on the shore, man, just one step at a time. Or 25 years sitting in the same seat? I want to leave us with that tension. What does it mean for you to follow Jesus in this day? Am I willing to trust him instead of me? That's the big one for me. Am I willing to trust him instead of me? I think I know a lot. I'm 40, I don't know if you knew. But I, I, at this age, I think I know a lot. So it's tough for me to let the nets down when I'm like, God, have you not been watching? That might be where you're at. The older we get, the more we know, right? Am I willing to trust him instead of me and follow him, whatever that means?